0: Welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode, we're featuring Camilla Meza.
1: A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www dot slash high action.
0: Good morning, High Actionites and New West Guitar members. It's great to see you guys this morning. We have episode 46. Camila Meza, we're getting close to 50, it's feeling great. And you know, I saw an article this morning you guys wanted to share with you, and I wanted to get your thumbs up or thumbs down on these tips for all of our guitar listeners out there. Something that's really important is ways to streamline our live rig so that we can travel more easily and just get on the gig and really hit it hard. And I'm curious if Will and Perry, if you guys agree with, with these. So here we go, six ways to streamline your live guitar rig. Okay. Will, do you agree with the first one? Pick a versatile guitar. Pick one versatile guitar. What do you think?
1: Yes. And that would be in the form of a Fender Stratocaster.
0: And this article (laughs) says Fender Telecaster. So it must have been written by, I don't know, hipsters or something. No, (laughs) All right. Number two. Mm, This is an interesting one, and I think I'm going to take this one. Number two, go direct with an amp pedal, mm-hmm. and they have a picture of the Strymon Iridium. And, you know, I actually have to give this a thumbs up now. I've, I've been on the road a little bit since the pandemic, and I've got one of these things, and it's it's great. It's a lot better than I've the experience I've had in the past with it. And it's. I don't know if it's always the solution, if you've got a great amp, but it definitely made my life easier. So I'm going to give number two, go direct with an amp pedal, a thumbs up. Um, Perry, I'm going to ask you number three, their tip is get a lightweight pedal board. What do you think about that?
2: Oh, fully, fully agree with that. I mean, John, do you remember the new West Stage when we had the big pedal boards and the full size volume pedals and like the pedal powers that weighed like 12 pounds themselves? Yeah. Right. Now we have pedal train metros. We've got those, we've got the small volume pedals, the small pedals in general, way better.
0: Yeah, and that, actually, funny enough, this is back to you, Will, number four. Make friends mm. with mini pedals, as in M-I-N-I.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, to piggyback off Perry, um, I've gone even smaller. I have a Nano Plus now, and it has a compressor, a volume pedal, two overdrives, octave pedal, a mini like mini octave, mini reverb, mini delay, and the mm-hmm. compressor's mini, so... It's, it's literally, I mean, it's the smallest possible board I could ever have for New West. It's perfect. Oh,
0: can't wait to see it. <laughs> can't wait to see that one. Uh, tough for guys with me with size 14 shoes, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, uh, let's see. Number five. Actually, I'll go back to Perry for this one because we're getting up to six here. Number five um, it says, or instead of mini pedals, use a multi-effects unit. What do you think? Thumbs up or down?
2: I don't know. That would be a very questionable thumb on the multi-effects unit. Um, it could work. You could get a good sound with it, but I have found in my limited experience with pedals that you get way better sounds if you pick the individual pedals that you want for your rig. So
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, back in the GT6 days, Perry, you know, it's, yeah. gr- it's no, great when you're younger. Yeah, I mean if you're a student and can't afford a bunch of pedals, that's a great idea because then you can kind of experiment with sounds, but man, nowadays you got Logic and GarageBand, you can even like experiment with those tones before you go buy the individual pedals. It's it's pretty amazing how that's come around in 15 15- years and then number six okay i think we all can agree with a thumbs up on this invest in a good quality gig bag or guitar case so obviously yeah, i mean what's your favorite yeah what's your favorite one these days will that you're using
1: reunion blues i mean actually mono is wonderful mm-hmm. truly but reunion blues kind of gives me that extra good feeling when i'm handing my guitar off to uh, gate checker who yep. doesn't care about my livelihood
2: yeah yeah exactly can i add a number seven sure can i add sure. a number seven to the list um to streamline your pedal board leave it at home
1: ah uh, i'm gonna disagree with that and i'm gonna <laughs> i want to talk to perry about his tubescoomer mini and how that needs to be done away with <laughs>
0: spoken like a true jazz guitarist right you know when we talk about it yeah that's a great way to streamline it bring bring a tuner and a cable, yeah.
2: you know? Or, so. or, yeah, just the cable, maybe.
0: Well, and, right. you, you know, so it's, it's no. interesting talking about that. And, you know, we have to talk a little bit of gear. I mean, it's what our listeners have been wanting. But, you know, to fast forward into episode 46 here, Camilla Meza, she's an amazing guitarist, uh, currently living in South America, but spending a lot of time in New York over the years. You know, Will, you had some great questions for her. One of the topics that came up was talking about preparing mentally and physically for concerts, and we've got some of those coming up with New West. And just curious, what's one routine you've done this week to kind of prepare mentally or physically for a concert?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, in the case of New West, you have to practice this stuff standing up, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe even balancing, mixing yourself. If you're playing, like if I play the recording of you guys and I just, you know, playing it sitting down is, is a lot easier. Yeah than playing it standing up and and mixing yourself with your volume pedal so that's that's pretty essential yeah huge part of preparation
0: yeah definitely i mean we've talked perry we've talked about that for years balancing with one foot on the pedal board i just upgraded and got the dunlop mini pedal that fits the metro exactly so it's really nice it's actually one i can i can actually balance on that too um And, you know, another thing, Perry, that, you know, you had talked to her a lot about in terms of the scene out in New York, and so I'm actually curious to ask you about here. Um, Since you moved to New York in 2009, do you feel like the jazz scene has just increasingly become more and more global? Um, where we have a lot of musicians coming from a lot of other places, or do you just find that not, it's not necessarily more global, it's just that more jazz musicians have moved to New York um, from even around the U.S.? Curious what you think about that.
2: Yeah. It's, I'd say more so than any other scene that I've ever been a part of or, or been to visit or anything like that, it, it is a very international scene because it's like a beacon for jazz musicians from all over the world mm-hmm. to spend some time. Uh, and that's actually nice because it really refreshes the scene and brings new faces and new sounds and new talent. And yeah, is definitely one of them. She's out of sight you know, yeah. and playing really good music. And it was just an honor to have her on the show.
0: Yep, yeah, definitely. And before we get to that episode, just want to remind our listeners that you can follow us over on Patreon, where we're just shy of our goal right now. We're going to release some new videos, so we appreciate everybody joining us over there. We're, uh, Will Perry and I are doing a lot of playing, so you can come check out some stuff, and you can even ask us questions Um, musical questions uh, or otherwise over there and interact with us. Um, It's always a good time to go to our Teespring store and order a coffee mug, high-action shirt, New West shirt. Got some pretty cool swag over there. And finally, be sure to visit newwestguitar.com. Soon we'll be posting our tour dates with the New West Guitar Group. We have, just to give everybody a little heads up here, Thursday, August 12th in Los Angeles at Sam First Club by LAX. And Saturday, August 13th at the San Jose Jazz Festival. So be sure to check out our tour page. We'd love to see you guys in person. And don't forget, if you join us at Patreon, you might actually get some benefits to uh, um, get some guest passes to some shows. So drop us a line over there. And without further ado, we've got episode 46 with the great Camilla Meza. Right, Camila Meza, we're so stoked to have you on High Action today. How you doing?
3: Hi, everyone. I'm so pleased to be sharing this time with you. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. I mean, uh, again, we say this a lot when we start our episodes. When we thought of how to do this podcast so many players came to mind right away and you know you're one of the ones that we said right off the bat gosh we've got to get camila on here and talk and have you on so we just we appreciate you taking Um, the time we know you're a super busy musician out there
3: thank you so much that's Really, I'm really honored <laughs> to yeah. be included in your podcast.
0: Well, and you know, today it's fun because two of us on High Action are in LA, Will and myself, and you guys, Perry and Camila. You guys are out in New York.
3: Maybe the the connections that we're having the it's because I'm not in New York, and I didn't realize that you guys didn't know I'm in Guatemala, and maybe that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've been teaching, I've been teaching, I've been performing from here during this year uh, and actually I'm surprised uh, about how everything has been able uh, to work out and smooth um, but yeah, I haven't been in New York for a while um, but yeah, my my roots are still there, I still have my apartment there uh, and I, I plan to, to go back eventually and... Yeah, going there now. It's uh, eleven years, some somewhere around eleven years that I moved to New York from Chile. Um, as you know, I am I am from Santiago, Chile, and so the move to New York was uh, was really kind of uh, you know when when your your life almost starts again. I. I went to to New York in 2008 um after I worked on a cruise ship for 5 months I I I I saved a bunch of money and all of that I ended up you know spending it in 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 jazz clubs for like a month I stayed there and I was going to jazz clubs every night and getting to check out all what I had seen on albums you know like you you have this fantasy of like Getting to check out what is the village vanguard about, you know, and so I did all of that in a month, and and so and in 2008, and that was definitely a life changing experience for me because I I was feeling such a deep energy from that city um, in terms of the creativity and the community and the prospects of just being there and and getting to you know like. Uh, learned so much, you know, and so right when I came back from that from from that month and a half back uh, home in Chile, I recorded a, a demo to send to the new school mm-hmm. so that I could you know I could have my audition. Um, to go and study guitar and then next thing i know like a couple months later they sent me this email like you've been accepted and you have this amount of scholarship that that actually allowed me to go because it's like as you know very expensive right and yeah in a matter of six months like my life changed completely i went to new york in january 2019 in 2000 sorry 2009 and then uh, i remember arriving in one of the coldest days ever because like this huge snowstorm had to pass through new york and i i've seen at that moment i had seen snow once in my life so it was like okay i'm gonna get, have to get used to a lot of things that i'm not familiar with yeah but <laughs> for sure yeah it was it was an amazing amazing decision to do that and Yeah. From then on, like all all amazing, amazing things have happened.
0: What was one of the first things that Vic and Pete and Steve, when you interacted with those guys as instructors at the new school? um, What were some of the first things that you guys talked about when you studied with them?
3: Yeah. Well, I would say that with um, each of them, it was a a different, a little bit of a different approach because the I was looking for. you know, different things from each of them, you know? Uh, the cool thing about the new is you can you can choose your instructors and you can choose from like a list of, I don't know, more than 50 uh, amazing musicians, I would say more than 100 amazing musicians that live in the area and then back in the day you would go to their places to hang out and play with them and ask them questions. So, um, I remember, well, with Pete, I remember just immediately trying to, you know, uh, how you say this expression, like, catch his brain? No. <laughs>
0: yeah?
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> sure, that counts. Sure. Pick, pick his brain, right? <laughs>
1: pick,
3: your, pick your brain. I always get, I always get the, the sayings oh, wrong. <laughs> 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 okay, I would catch his brain. No, I would pick his brain on his... Um, uh, on his melodic um, approach, for me, uh, Pete has this thing that it's it's so magical, like every time I hear his solos and his, um, his, his way of conducting his melodies, it almost, it kind of reminds me of Wes Montgomery in the sense mm-hmm. that, you know, when I would hear solos by Wes, I would almost think that they were not improvised, as how well built they were. <laughs> right. You know how beautifully coherent and 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 the development and the no choice and the inflections. Everything was like everything is so perfect and so, um, yeah, like so soulful. You know, like right. coming from a, a deep, very very deep place, and I wanted to access that because. Whenever I would hear Pete, I would be like, oh my God, those are tasty lines I want to... So, you know what? It's funny because sometimes the, the teaching and what we consider as, you know, passing on information, sometimes it doesn't have to be like this method that you go through a book... We lit- I literally, like, I-, I remember we were talking about Alon King Betty or something like that, and he started talking, but then he started playing. And I was just in front of him, like, a meter, two meters away or whatever, mm-hmm. and just seeing him from so close, like, going over and over through choruses of all Alon King Betty and never, like, um, ne- never get a, um absent of ideas. So, like, just... That class, I remember, I, I went home, like, so inspired, and just, that was, like, an amazing lesson there, you know, just sure. to be able to, to see that, as, like, close. Uh,
0: sure. Um... Mm -hmm. Well, and also, you know, just to tie this into your roots, too, coming from South America and a city like Santiago that is such a rich city of, I mean, everywhere in South America, it's like the regional music, whether it's tango in Argentina or samba in Brazil. But, you know, Cueca, which I know is popular in Chile as a dance and everything, and just the culture there, you know, I'm curious how you learned music there. Did you find that when you went to New York and got to study with all these great jazz musicians, Was the pedagogy drastically different from more of a cultural experience that you were exposed to at an early age? Granted, I know your parents were journalists and people that were really, Mm -hmm. um, you know, involved in culture. But I'm always curious to ask that of great guitarists and musicians like yourself who come from another country and study in America.
3: Going back to, I would say, maybe like eight, nine years old having that vision of, like, you know, what we would call, like, extra-programmatic activities, you know, Uh like, we would do drama, we would do, um, we would do, um, well, a lot of sports, but then I remember her, um, she hired this really old lady, uh, (laughs) that I think (laughs) she was a a friend of my grandmother. There was, I I still need to kind of go deeper into that story, but, like, uh, there was this older lady that would come every week and me and my sister would grab these acoustic guitars. We had each of us had one. I actually liked hers better. But mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, no, acoustic was cool. Um and we would learn what I would I would call like a, a you know, a plethora of like uh Latin America Latin American folklore, you know? Yep. Um uh, she would <clears throat> make us. It was kind of cute. Now that I, I never talked about this so much, when I think about my like my initial years in music, but we would write down like the lyrics in in our little books, <laughs> and then put like you know put like the the classic like. Um, in 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 chile would be la m like Mm -hmm. uh, like a minor Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um on top of the lyrics you know and then learn the rhythms from her just by watching her oh right yeah and so honestly that that was my what i would call my first pedagogical experience when it comes to music you know right other than that you know my my family is such a musical family like i can't even have Uh, A memory of when you know music started to be around because it was always around
0: It sounds like all of that influence in your family of and otherwise other people that that were mentoring you Really inspired your vocal quality as well because when I hear your voice I don't just hear the great lineage of jazz musicians and even Joni Mitchell and all that stuff But I I hear Mm -hmm. of uh, kind of a folksy quality to your voice um, And rootsy to me
3: my vocal um, endeavors as a musician I that's another thing that I can't remember like when I started singing because literally it. I feel that it's been there my whole life it's been the way that I express music even before um, I go to, to an instrument I feel uh, compelled to tell you an idea you know uh, yes. as I would speak you know as I would speak I would use my voice to sort of like you know um, So the vocal life, it's kind of interesting, too, because it was so natural for me to be singing that I never thought of myself as a singer, you know? Yes. Like, I never labeled myself, or I never even, like, thought that I would be a singer, like I would be called a singer. Like, it feels that the, like, you know, grabbing up the guitar and deciding to go and practice and get a teacher... All that uh, would make me more of a guitarist you know mm-hmm. than uh, a singer because singing I, I, I never I never went to academia you know right um, and I never wanted to because it fe- it felt that I, I could learn I, I could learn by myself in many ways you know like I would hear something then immediately be able to imitate it.
0: Yeah, and and it sounds like that also later on influenced your compositional process too, because you're such a prolific composer. I mean, uh, I love your albums with the, the string writing and just other kinds of uh, elements that are brought into there too. I'm I'm curious, do you um, it, you know, do you spend a lot of time separate from just playing and singing at home and getting into the music, and really devote a lot of time to specifically writing, and writing for other instruments and, and ensembles as well?
3: Well, um, <clears throat> I have I have been more acquainted and, and used to write for uh, more of like a, a smaller ensemble, like, uh, you know, bass drums, piano. I've done that for so many years. And... And the Nectar Orchestra is a project that it's it's a collaborative project with the bass player um, Noam Weisenberg. So he's the one who, who wrote the string arrangements. Um, and that process was awesome because basically, you know, I I've been I've been a lot um, kind of you know in my own world getting getting my own arrangements. So sort of like to Uh, to be put together and then having another voice come into the mix and sort of like bounce back ideas that was super fun so um yeah I write for other arrangements because I love I love uh, experimenting with that I mean a new project I I try to write for harp and like you know uh, four voices (laughs) but yeah I mean strings I wouldn't consider myself like uh yeah like a string arranger. (laughs) Well,
0: you know, and it's fun, like guitar, there's so much we can do with writing for guitar. I mean, in the new West Mm -hmm. guitar group, the three of us, um, we've spent 15, 16 years now writing, for the guitar as an ensemble instrument beyond just being like a solo instrument or an instrument that belongs in an ensemble with, with other like piano and bass and drums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, the track I'd love to play next for our listeners is off of your album, Ambar, with the Nectar Orchestra. Mm-hmm. And because you recorded Elliot Smith's Waltz Number 1, and we also recorded it in New West. album, Send One Your Love, and I, I love your rendition of this song amazing all right yeah. let's take a listen everybody this is waltz number one from Camila Meza's beautiful album with the nectar orchestra umbar
3: every time the day darkens down
2: It sounds so beautiful.
3: <laughs> oh my god, I hadn't heard that song in a long time now. That's uh, meaning my own arrangement, like it feels so so nice.
2: Yes, it sounds gorgeous. Uh, it's certainly one of my favorite songs. A uh, little side note, my youngest brother is named Elliot. So sometimes oh. joke around saying that he's Elliot Smith, as technically he is. <laughs>
3: that's amazing (laughs) Um, did your parents notice that or at that time they were like no
2: i I think my my parents uh i don't even know if elliot smith would have been around but anyway yeah they uh i think they named him after the movie et if you Mm. remember that
3: (laughs) oh right (laughs) great references i love it
2: but i I digress slightly here um anyway i'm excited (laughs) that you're on the podcast it's great to connect with you in this format I'm a little bummed that you're not in Brooklyn anymore, because uh, I've had the pleasure over the last 10 or 11 years, I've also been in New York, of running across you just a few times. I know we have some mutual friends and people like Sarah Charles, mm. and uh, Rodrigo, and Melissa, and um, totally. I wanted to talk uh, just initially about some of the musicians coming out of Chile in more recent years and having a big impact on the jazz scene. Uh, I've been to Santiago a couple of years ago, and it was thought was a wonderful city. I took a tram up to some huge hill and got into some incredible vista. I forget mm. what it was called. This,
3: San was, Cristobal, maybe.
2: Yes, yes. Exactly. San Cristobal, yeah. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, Santiago reminded me of Los Angeles, but like a little smaller, of course. Mm. Uh, but the vibe was so great there. The food was incredible. The people were wonderful. And, you know, coming out to New York, I was sort of struck initially by oh, there's a lot of great musicians here from South America. And I'm also meeting a lot of wonderful musicians from Chile, people like Rodrigo Recabaran was a good buddy of mine, Pablo Maneras, Melissa mm. Aldana, and yourself. And I just thought I'd ask initially, is that is the popularity of jazz in Chile is that more of a recent thing, in your opinion, or is that something that's been sort of in the water for a long time and I'm just sort of newly discovering it?
3: Mm. So, I would say that <clears throat> there's always been this kind of niche, you know, for jazz. Like, uh, we have a history of, of really amazing players in, in Chile, you know, dating a long time ago, but there, it feels that they've, they've always been, like, very few, you know? Very few, but very good, you know? Um somehow this little uh, migration, like collective migration that happened and maybe it's what you what you see like oh there's so many musicians, it happened kind of um, simultaneous like a lot of us had that idea of like oh let's go and check out New York and it was great because we actually created a little bit of a family you know mm-hmm. and now it seems that it's also um, creating more and more that feeling uh, for Chilean young people that like, Oh, you know what? I can go to and, and get to share amazing time with the musicians from all over the world, you know? So, um, but I don't know if you guys know Claudia Acuna, Claudia Acuna. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I would say that she kind of like kind of crossed that, um, that, that barrier of, uh, of the, in, you know, the internationalization of mus- of jazz musicians in Chile, because she went into New York like maybe around the nineties or something, right. and she became part of that scene. And you know, other than her, maybe there's a couple more uh, musicians from Chile that sort of like left. Um, but then it was a lot of years until like you know the group that you're talking about. Uh, left again and 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 sort of created the Chile like a new Chilean scene in New York that kind of opened up also uh, More of that connection and and an exchange of ideas between uh, the New York scene and the Chilean scene But if you go to Chile and you go to specific clubs I promise you that you go there and like there was there always gonna be amazing music because there's like so many incredible musicians like that that I would yeah I, sometimes I'm, I'm like whoa they really deserve more um, of an exposure you know uh, but we're at the very 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 South and it's like really tough to travel uh, to other places in the world but but yeah so I would say that Chile definitely has a, 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 a history and a story of, of amazing jazz musicians they're just a few, but they're really
2: good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I had forgotten about Claudio. Claudia. C- Claudia mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she's tremendous. And I believe Rodrigo uh, has been playing with her a little bit. This yeah. is a great, great drummer out here in New York. A wonderful guy who Will actually plays with a little bit as well. Yeah, uh, wonderful drummer. So speaking a little bit more about New York, you know, um, I think we arrived here around similar times. I arrived from California in 2009. And I remember a few years after that, I think it was maybe around 2013, I was living in the Flatbush area, like Leffert's Gardens area, like Flatbush and Midwood essentially, these big uh, apartment complexes called Flatbush Patio. And I was walking down Flatbush and I had heard your name around from a few people, I think uh, like Rodrigo and others I'd mentioned. And I look in this window, of this little Italian joint on Flatbush, you may know I'm going with this. And your name is advertised like a weekly, I must've been like a solo or duo gig or something, you were playing there. And I thought, oh, cool, she's playing here. I'll try and check this out. And it sort of speaks to this uh, process that we all have to go through when you come to a new scene, especially a big scene like New York, you kind of have to sift through and navigate your way through the scene to try to grow your performing career. And I wanted just to ask you a little bit about, you know, your process doing that, because it can be mm-hmm. tough in New York. It can be a tough negotiation to turn down gigs if they're not ideal for you, because, you know, you've got to make a living, right? So h- how did you experience that? And did you feel a certain type of challenge or negotiation to just try to elevate your performing career by turning down smaller gigs or moving on from smaller gigs that weren't ideal? Was that something oh, you experienced?
3: Yeah. Well that is a, an amazing memory actually <laughs> like I had I I I don't remember that that um all those details so much and then when when they are brought back to to reality I enjoy so much um the the feeling of 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 that time yeah it's a very beginning and and there's Almost like um, this attitude of like I have nothing to lose, you know. So I'm going to go out there, you know, to just get get all like any gig that I can because I want to play so bad, mm-hmm. you know. And and I want to be constantly doing this, you know. And and so I think the the gig that i are talking about is like an Italian restaurant. Yeah. Right, oh my god, what yeah, what was it
2: called again? It was like Gino's,
3: Ginos Trattoria,
2: yes, that's what it was. Yeah. Between like uh, oh what
3: um, a classic in my, in my life,
2: yeah, between like Lincoln and Midwood or something, right there, yeah,
3: actually. yeah. I was so I was playing there every Saturday or something like that, right, you right. know, and and yeah, steps away from my apartment, so it was really convenient, and they you know, they would give you like a, a great meal at the end, um. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, if I if I go back into the first years in New York, I definitely I was doing a lot of of, of those little gigs in restaurants, you know, that's how I I was getting to apply a bunch of stuff that I was learning, you know, in a sort of quote unquote relative safe space because you have this dichotomy of people actually listening and people that don't care right mm-hmm. and and at the very beginning that was awesome to me I was earning some money to pay my rent I was getting to play every night almost there was a time that I was literally would have like you know six gigs a night I mean a, a, a week
2: six gigs a night Holy! <laughs>
3: yeah no, actually I might have done like three three gigs a, a, a day at one point I, I was really really going for it uh, but yeah I mean <clears throat> everything that you know, you do too much has like its ending, <laughs> its yes. ending point. And what you're talking about, sort of like the idea of of playing for in in more, I would say in places that people would go for the music, you know, that's what I wanted to get to. You know, I wanted to, you know, also get to play my my music and so it was all like evolving very slow, and I was very patient with it and I did take some 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 kind of determinations at one point i I did say, for instance, I'm not gonna do at this point I'm not gonna do a gig if it pays less than a hundred bucks you know and then and then it's interesting because the universe sort of like starts adjusting to your 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 own limits, the limits that you put and then I said that and literally I was. From then on, I was called for like better and better gigs, you know?
2: Today's episode of High Action is sponsored by Jeff Traugott Guitars. Jeff is a luthier based in Santa Cruz, California, and he brings an incredible quality of artistry and craftsmanship to the acoustic guitar. He only builds about 12 guitars a year, and he develops a very close relationship with each one of his customers. Together, he focuses on the tone and the playability that you want from the acoustic guitar. Here's a recording of me playing my Try Acoustic. The playability is amazing, the tone is rich, so for more information, check out trigotguitars.com.
3: So I was doing, yeah, what I would consider that every New York musician would do and, you know, like send your emails and get demo to the venue and and go hang out and meet people, all that.
2: I think what we're talking around is that process of, of negotiating between what you need to do to make a living and also like how you're trying to propel your art forward. All right. And, you know, there, there becomes a point and you know, John and Will and I have talked about this a lot where you sort of have like diminishing returns on the experience that you're having. Like whether you're, if you're playing in a little restaurant when you're in college or shortly after, that can be a great experience. But then at a certain point, it's not providing the experience that you need. It's, it's almost limited. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. And that's
2: yeah. a that's a tough negotiation. I keep coming back to that word because if you turn down those things, then does the money add up at the end of the month for you? You know, And that's, right. that's the ways I think um, interesting uh, window for me to look into for other people's lives. It's like, well, how how have you been able to propel your career? Did it result in turning down gigs, or did you just wait till you had something better? But it seems like you did that all very naturally. And to your credit, it's not just about saying no to a gig; it's also about having something to say to an audience, mm-hmm. which you certainly have, uh, and something a talent that you can foster. So. Uh, yeah, I've always been really enamored by your playing and your singing and the music that you're putting out there. So it's great to kind of see how your career has sort of built itself and how you've uh, been mm. successful in that way. Because I has, have that memory of walking down Flatbush,
3: <laughs> seeing your
2: name on like a white sheet posted in the window. Come to Meza every Saturday night. I'm like, oh,
3: okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I guess what what I wanted to say also kind of round up the idea is the fact that you know you in New York, you don't wait for things to happen, mm-hmm. you know? Like you have Anywhere, to guess, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, I'm talking about New York because it's such it's so full of incredible musicians that like, you know, um, even if you are someone that gets called like a sideman, you you know you you still have to kind of uh, appear somewhere kind of like you know get get your get connected I mean it's it's such a human what we do it's such a human um social thing that like you know you have to to sort of be there in 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 person and 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 put your your effort to kind of you know find a space for your music right
2: that's great to hear. Yeah. Um, it's important, you know, for everyone listening to understand that the people that you know really make it in this business—they uh, don't do it by themselves, right? You need people to help you. You need people to guide you and give you support along the way. Nobody can do it completely on their own. Um, yeah, I, and
3: that goes. I would. I would like to add that that mm-hmm. goes also, you know, with your own, your own like tribe let's say if you're on on college right and then you meet all these people that are your or are, are your colleagues your partners um, it, yeah you always need musicians around you always need people that like believe in your vision and and in that sense yeah in my case was like a mentor an older person but I, I've seen a lot of people and and especially now the younger generations like playing a lot with their peers and like supporting each other and that's also a great way you know you you need your tribe that's for sure
2: absolutely yeah you gotta find your people and uh you know get the support you need with them um for yeah sure.
3: definitely
2: let me shift gears a little bit before i i pass it over to will braun uh being that this is a podcast all about guitar players and <laughs> you're one of them uh, i want to talk just a little bit about the nuts and bolts of the guitar for you and uh, i know that you played a one seventy five like me for a long time. Um, you're playing the Sadowski right now. Is that correct? That's still your main axe.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah rock definitely. Rock I've rock been rock playing. Rock. Um, I've been playing Sadowski SS playing? fifteen. There you go. SS fifteen. Um, I've been playing that for now, maybe. Uh, let me think. Like seven, eight years. Right. Yeah. yeah that's um,
2: Guitar, I always imagine you with uh, when I yeah playing new sound, but
3: I do have a new a new baby.
2: <laughs> oh, you, uh,
3: yeah, t- t- I got a I got a, a gift from Dangelico. Ooh. To try out their deluxe the Brighton, and wow, I've been having fun, especially because uh, it's like it's so different, <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah, and well, t-
2: uh, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about what you like in terms of. You know when i say nuts and bolts i'm talking like string gauge and like where you like your action or yeah well shorter scale even the height of your strap i would
3: <laughs> i love this nerdy nerdy yeah. geeky talk i love it uh yeah so i yeah i'm gonna talk about the sadowski because that's been yeah. like my 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 sound for a long time yeah. um i would say well i used Dario. Uh, zero twelve, yep. Um, round wound, oh, okay, round wound. yeah. You use a flat,
2: no, no, I, I don't know why I sounded surprised. I
3: just <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, my action, I would say it's medium, medium because, mm. um, I mean, I'm thinking of, of uh, friends like Gilad. His action, yeah. I think, it's really low, right?
2: Yeah, that's why we had to cut his episode from the podcast. Just not on, on, not on level. So. <laughs> <laughs> cut it out. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you yeah. guys are hilarious. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I would say it's it's medium. There's still like a little bit of space, you mm-hmm. know. Um, uh, what else? I. I like, um, I guess in terms of, uh, of well, the, the Sadowski only has um, one pickup, so um, there I just find my my the right amount of of treble, and and yeah, a lot of uh, not a lot, but like I rely a lot on on this pedal. That I have for to like get my sound uh, more consistent through, uh, which is a reverb. It's a reverb, a Polara reverb.
2: Okay. Polara. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Polara.
3: Was- yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's I've uh,
2: heard about that pedal, but uh, we can't see it because uh, your video is off. But oh, I know. I, I think I've heard about this. Does it help compress the sound a little bit too? Is that part of it?
3: Mm, no. No, 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 it's just, uh, it's just a very, uh, highly sensitive, uh, reverb. And, and and the sound of the reverb, it's, it's like what I, I enjoy the most. It's, I've, I've experienced sort of, you know, like moments where I don't have the amp that I want. And then I put the reverb and it just like makes everything better. It's interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I usually play with, uh, 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 Fender Deluxe mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, seems to be also very uh, very accessible when you go like to different stages on tour. You know, like mm-hmm. it's not it's not hard to to get and it's consistent too. Um, and what else on the guitar? Um, oh, my picks! It's it so says. important. It's, it's so it. important that it's something that I would never change. And if I don't have it, I really suffer. It's a, a, a pick called kupik. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know it. It's yes. a, a, like a white uh, pick. And it's 1.5 millimeters, I think, if okay. I'm correct. Yeah, that, man, I don't know. It's kind of annoying to have, like, depends so much on this little thing because sometimes it's not around and you're like, where are, my, where are all my picks? Yes, yes. And, yeah, that's part of my sound for sure.
1: You know, Camila, you should never say never when it comes to talking about changing picks. Uh-oh. <laughs>
3: Are you serious? <laughs> Do you have an experience of just, like, being absolutely convinced and then
1: yes. changing? Um, um, I mean, I think about years at a time where I would only play, like, two different types of picks. Like,
3: yeah.
1: a, like six-year run. And then all of a sudden I start, like, just... Looking at all these other things and and finding them all useful in different ways. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I had to open on that.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I like I like it. I like to the idea that you can still be open also for change. You know, and to change your sound and and re- reinvent something in you. That's cool.
1: So first of all, it's great to to virtually meet you through Zoom, and I'm a great admirer of your of your playing and your voice, and your your music is really beautiful i'm i wanted to continue along what perry was talking about and just ask you what draws you to playing an archtop you know all the good the bad everything like what what makes that feel good for you to play to play an archtop
3: yeah um so the the most immediate answer that I get it's the um, warmth, the warmth of of the acoustic resonance that happens when you have a hole, (laughs) you know, Um, uh, there's... I fell in love with that sound early on, you know um, and it was kind of the, the sound that shifted my whole approach to music because I had started uh, more like in rock and and so kind of on the guitar you know, like when I was 14, 15 I was writing music with a lot of distortion and I had an I- Ibanez, you know, like solid super rock and then I remember hearing, you know, people like Pat Metheny and George Benson and and that absolutely changed the my 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 music approach. You know, I I fell in love with that. that I would say it's maybe the it's kind of like a space that that this uh, sound um, uh, uses. That it's it's like so it has so much shape and form and and weight you know that i i just loved it it made me you know then i remember hearing like some 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 west montgomery and and there was like a i don't know maybe like a nostalgia or something there was a resonance there that that really communicated with my with my soul you know and so at the very beginning, as as Barry as was saying, yeah, I got immediately. I went to like the <clears throat> the archtop as like you know the big big one, 175, you know, like huge, and and I loved it. You know, I love I love it still. Um, then then uh, the Sadowski, how would you consider it? It's like semi archtop because it's a, it's a smaller.
1: I, I mean, I think it's still a hollow body, but maybe hollow just body. Like yes. a 15-inch rather than a, you know, 16, 17,
3: right? Yeah, yeah. And the thing with, the, with that kind of, like, balanced, maybe after all this experimentation, balanced my, my two worlds, you know, of, like, you know, um, wanting that acoustic sound but also wanting to put some distortion at times and not having these crazy feedbacks, which was what my, my problem was yep. with the 175 at points, you know? And so, but yeah, I would say the warmth and the, yeah, that weight. The
1: feeling, awesome. right? Like the it's feeling. kind of, like it feels, it's like a blanket when you have slightly bigger guitar on, on your chest, like while you're playing it, it's kind of like you've got some more support system. Yeah. More physical thing. Even then, Definitely. it's really necessarily a sonic thing.
3: Yeah, 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 for sure. It's, yeah, for me, it's so funny because, like, I remember being on tour with the the uh, 175, the Archtop, and then so many people would be like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. Wow, the guitar was bigger than you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm tiny. And then I apparently looked like, you know, that I had like a gigantic, you know, uh, I don't know, bass on top of me. Yeah.
1: That's you really know. funny because John is really tall. And when he plays R175, it looks like a Les Paul. <laughs> Feels like a little mandolin. <laughs> That's Something the opposite really of the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> It's too small. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm wondering when you're performing, whether it's solo at a restaurant or in a performing arts center with an orchestra, you know, the environment changes, everything changes. But what do you? what's your mental process on, on keeping things on a consistent mindset with your art, Mm -hmm. regardless of the venue? Like, do you have a process? Do you have a routine?
3: Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, So I was talking about this er like last week with another friend and we were talking about this idea of um, envisioning and, um, And almost like practicing reality in your head before, you know, you actually physically go through it. And um, I mean, when it comes to really high level pressure um, concerts, um, I definitely I have a preparation that's like almost like mental as well as physical and and my practice, you know, like the the idea of imagining yourself going into that stage, but like step by step, literally like going from the backstage to walking through that that stage and feeling um, empowered and basically practicing how you're going to feel even, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, because I've had moments in my life where I'm like, do I even like, So being so nervous about like, you know playing a certain stage or playing with certain people That you start doubting yourself and all that so that process that idea of like rehearsing your your best self Mm -hmm. That's been really cool Um, But honestly when it comes to any performance Yeah, like that it's kind of like an old advice. I took very seriously, which is Perf- you, you perform the best and the most, um, the most, uh, the best version of yourself on any stage, even if it's like, you know, Stratoria or the Carnegie Hall, you know, because you literally, and this is true, it's not, it's not uh, um, a myth. You don't know who you're playing for, first of all. You never know, you never know who's gonna be in the audience and it happened to me a bunch of times mm-hmm. and that's that's how for instance like I got I got my manager who's like a woman that I admire so much, you know, and she was at the audience at one of my gigs and I didn't even know, you know, so like, so yeah, always practice and, and, and perform, you know, as if you were in the the like the place where you, right. you would want to be, you know, the
1: performance is the performance regardless of if it's at a restaurant. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I'm, definitely. I'm
1: curious. Do you experience, I don't know how I would describe it other than I'll just use the word spidey senses, right? Maybe it's like heightened awareness, but even if you're just rehearsing with cats or if you're playing and you record it and you listen back, and in the moment while it was happening, it felt like the experience was this wide. Like maybe you played a wrong phrase or maybe something went weird and you felt like this huge experience of you recalibrating and then you listen back and you might even miss it when you listen back or you listen back mm. and you think, wow, that was like that fast. But when it happened, my brain was like <laughs> this much around it. Do you ever experience things like that?
3: Definitely, I mean, definitely. We. I feel like as musicians, we're in a constant um, kind of uh, not a battle, but like a, you know this this back and forth of trying to get rid of our self consciousness. You know, mm. because when we are able to, you know, um, maybe make that part surrender a little bit, we get the most amazing experiences, in, like in heightened experiences of like connection and and you know uh flow mm-hmm. so yeah i remember that what you're talking about reminded me of oh a very specific situation i had once um at a oh man it was like the worst i mean what i would consider the worst experience of my life where
1: right. now we go gotta-
3: yeah yeah we're like it was someone else's music okay and i had uh i had practiced it like a bunch but then something happened where either the the tempo got shifted or you know and it was really hard yep. you know and i could not follow it never happens to me <laughs> and i could not follow the music and i started like sort of improvising and like started i started to get into this really 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 vulnerable space where you're all senses, because you have to get out of that situation in one way or another, so that you're listening in the most focused way, you're trying to connect to that part of yourself that would take you through this musical moment in the most, you know, possible, like, um, good way. And then, I remember listening back, and exactly what you're saying, I remember listening back... And I was like, whoa, that was actually so, like, true. It felt so honest. It felt so like being in the moment at, at, and, you know, and its most, like, actual <laughs> insane way, you know. I was there, I was there. And I remember people, because I was, like, almost crying, <laughs> literally. I felt so frustrated after. And then my friend was like, whoa, whoa. To hold on, that, that moment was awesome, and I'm like, No, there's no way, you know. So, yeah, man, like, um, it's so so interesting the perceptions uh, that we can have, and the moment that we're making music that could deprive us from, from enjoying something that you know it could otherwise be so fun.
1: It's interesting, so yeah, check. that's
3: a constant work for sure, like, mm hmm
1: so one more question before i give it back to john what is next for you what do you have on the horizon do you have any gigs booked does anybody have any gigs booked
3: (laughs) 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 right what what a weird time um so i have a weirdly i have one gig (laughs) in august in detroit so I might be I might be going there. I, I'm gonna play with the the Detroit Symphony String Quartet. So we're gonna be playing some some nectar again. Woo, and we're we're um, actually writing more music with Noah over a distance, which we're lucky that we can do that, right? Um, and then I am in the process of producing my new album, which is not with the nectar yet that's gonna be after another nectar but like right now it's a it's a project that I, I'm i doing that it's it's basically recording the uh, Jazz Gallery Commission that I had um, in 2019 yeah I wrote an hour of music and it's, uh, it's ready to to be recorded and shared um, I yeah so I'm producing that and trying to see um, how to get it in the studio ASAP. So, yeah.
1: Thanks so much, Camilla. So Thank great. you, Will. Yeah, and
0: again, that's fantastic. So for our listeners out there, should they just uh, hit you up on Instagram and follow you there? Is that kind of the best place for people to check out your upcoming stuff?
3: Uh, I would say so, yeah. I'm kind of bad at at, at updating my website. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we
0: all? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, the, the website becomes a bit of a monument to, you know, what I was doing about 2017. You know, I guess. But, uh, but hey, we gotta have them. You know, it's it's pretty slick to say www dot. <laughs> Johnstory.com. No, but right? in, in all seriousness, I mean it's important. All of our listeners on High Action have been so dedicated to checking out all of our guests like yourself, and so we just want to remind everybody where the best places to connect with you. Can't wait to hear this next project that you've got coming out. Um, so we'll be sure to keep our eyes and ears peeled for that. And in the meantime, we wish you the best down in uh, Guatemala right now. And Thank you. yeah, if you're ever up in Los Angeles, hit us up, or of course back in New York, but uh, we. Just sure would love to have you come out here to to la and play one of these days so be sure i know to,
3: can't know. wait to go back yeah thank you so much guys
0: thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of high action we'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible especially those who follow us on patreon If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash newwestguitargroup. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.